wildfires burned again last November in California. As you know, wildfires occur nearly every year when things get hot and dry. The unusual thing was that this time, the wildfires came to paradise. <laughs> paradise, California, that is. You may remember Tracy Leach and Jackie Dirksmeyer, who used to be part of this church, who moved from Virginia and our New Hope family to California in late 2017. Tracy ended up taking a permanent position in a medical lab there. They purchased a house near Paradise, California, out a little ways. And so when the wildfires that year started making their way toward Paradise, our interest in the spread of those fires became a lot more personal than maybe it had been at other times. As things progressed, Tracy and Jackie were one of the couples who had to evacuate because of the wildfires, but thankfully the fires never reached their house. The main part of the town of Paradise, however, didn't fare so well. The wildfire spread so rapidly that nothing could stop it from consuming the whole town. The peaceful retirement town became a raging inferno. In a sad, ironic twist, paradise became very much like hell. And the wildfires burned out of control, even though hundreds of firefighters courageously tried to stop them. Most of the town was destroyed uh, in the fire, and all in one day. I will not be showing you pictures of the whole town. It's, it's just, it looks like a war, war zone, where everything was just flattened and burned up. Seven months later, the town is still rebuilding. I read this week that 90% of the people that used to live there don't live there anymore. They're not going to start up again. And those who did, those who have stayed, have lost things that they will never regain. Anger is like a wildfire. For once it is kindled, it burns out of control, leaving many people damaged in its wake. How many of us this morning have experienced the trouble anger causes? How many of us have hurt someone in anger and then felt terrible afterwards? How many of us have been the victims of rage and outbursts of anger? Probably none of us has escaped. You know, if we're, if we're more than a few years old, we've probably been on the receiving and the giving end of anger. Our whole world is having a lot of problems with anger today. There's more hatred in the world than ever. Every day we hear new stories about the violence that occurred elsewhere because someone lost their cool and went off on someone else, often with deadly results. We hear too often that someone has taken out their frustrations and rage on complete strangers. Senseless, deadly tragedies have come as close to home as Virginia Beach and the campus of Virginia Tech. And then there's road rage. Road rage, which we may see in one way or another most days. It's frightening how some people can lose their temper and suddenly go after a complete stranger like they do. Uh, there was an incident of this just last week, last Saturday. Uh, it was kind of an unusual thing. A man named Nicholas Cole was shot in the head during a road rage incident. Unfortunately, people say it was his wife, Erica, who accidentally shot him. 
as I read this story, she was the one that actually caused the traffic incident. She was the one who angered the other person who started following them, wanting to, you know, somehow get even. And they eventually ended up at, at the house of the one who had caused the incident. She reached for a gun, went to shoot the other person in her anger, and shot her husband instead. Fortunately, uh, he's going to survive. But you see how anger got the best of both of them. Doesn't that just make you never want to honk your horn at somebody again? <laughs> you know, used to be that was what you talked to. If somebody does something, make sure they know that they did something they weren't supposed to. Now you're hesitant to even honk the horn because who knows where that will go. The problem with anger is that it's much broader than our roadways. More and more people are venting their rage against family members and friends and co-workers and absolute strangers. And this is happening in the most extreme ways. And aren't we all sick of hearing about another mass shooting in a shopping mall or a school or a place of business? We're sick of hearing about these uh, things where the neighbor didn't see somebody for a couple of days. So they went investigating and they discovered this grisly scene where everyone in the family is dead. We're shocked to hear still that a family member couldn't find a better way to channel their anger than to pull out a gun or knife on the people that they're supposed to love. It just, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But at the base of it is some deep-rooted anger issues. I was surprised to learn that, uh, according to the FBI, 25 to 28% of the homicides that occurred each year stem from arguments in the home. That's a huge percentage. You know, by comparison, only 7% of the homicides each year that are gang-related, you know, 7% the, the against 25 to 28%, you know, it's our families are in trouble. We have task forces to curb gang activity. But who's curbing the anger issues? in our homes, in our families. Did you know that anger and violence are hereditary? Now, I'm not talking about genetically. It's not like it's not in your genes. I'm talking about the fact that we learn these things from our parents. We learn them from our families. The culture, the environment causes us to have anger issues because our family and the generations prior to us had anger issues. Studies have shown that 79% of the people who resort to violence today witness some kind of violence in their family first. This is how you deal with this, in other words. This is how you handle this. This is what you do when you don't like what has happened. Now, if your family has a history of violence, I'm so thankful mine doesn't. If your family has a history of sinful outbursts of anger like that, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to be the one who breaks that cycle, that cycle of violence and, and anger. Of course, you're going to need God's help because in our own human nature, none of us can overcome these things. Many years ago, I had to conquer a problem with my temper. Now, most of you probably can't even imagine that because you've never seen me lose my temper, as far as I know. <laughs> most people then and now had no idea I ever lost my temper, but I did at that time. And it happened at home, but only rarely. I was losing my temper with my kids. It was the young father thing, you know. You want your kids to come up a certain way. You want them to behave a certain way. 
And when I realized that my children were getting under my skin, I had to admit that I was lashing out at them in ways that I didn't lash out at anybody else. I would say things to them sometimes when I was upset that I immediately regretted, and I realized something has to change. And so I prayed that God would help me control my temper, and he did. I learned to keep my temper under his control, and as you know, in most every case I can think of, that has been true, but it has not been me. It has been God teaching me something that I desperately needed to learn. Perhaps you have some kind of anger issues today. You may sometimes explode on other people, or you don't even know why. Or maybe your anger is more of that slow burn, that slow boil. You're mad at someone for something they did to you, and you just can't let it go. It's there with you every day. Maybe your anger comes out for a variety of reasons. Fatigue, or frustration, or maybe feelings of rejection, or maybe embarrassment over something you did, and suddenly you're responding with this thing that I didn't even know I could do that. And once again, you see yourself lashing out other people, saying mean things to them, and you seem powerless to stop losing your temper. I want you to know that anger is a God-given emotion, and that it is not in itself a sin. That, that you and I were created with, with a capacity for anger. But the way we use it and the moments and the situations in which we use it uh, can either be positive or negative, destructive or constructive. And the destructive ways we express our anger can be very sinful. So we need to learn how to control our temper. Sometimes our anger is unjustifiable. Sometimes it is not warranted, but even more often the way we express our anger is unjustifiable. Relationships are blown up every day by those who cannot get their tempers under control. And thousands of lives have been irreparably damaged by those who gave way to their rage. They just let it fly. That is why anger is part of this summer series of messages from God's Word called Overcoming through Christ. And that is why anger is listed along with the other seven of uh, the seven deadly sins. We must be aware of the danger and find appropriate ways to express our anger even when it is justified. Our text for this morning is in Ephesians 4. So I hope you'll find a Bible. Maybe you brought your own with you. That'd be great if you did. Or just pick out one of the ones seat in the seat in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4 is found on page 949 in these Bibles uh, from the seats here. So please open to that passage, Ephesians 4, starting with verse 26. And then just keep your finger there, keep it open uh, throughout our time in the Word this morning, please. Ephesians 4, 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. 
brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, we all know that anger hurts. What does sinful anger do? It hurts. It hurts people. It hurts the people around us. It looks often that it hurts the people that are closest to us. It's people that, you know, we love, that we, we would really like to take care of, but suddenly we do something that is a, a severe twist of that. It's the opposite of what we maybe intended to do. And so look at the list that Paul gives us here in verse 31. There's bitterness, there's rage, there's anger, there's brawling, there's slander, there's malice. You know, you just come up with this thing in your heart, you know, you're, you just hate somebody. That's a whole pile of hurt, isn't it? Sinful, ungodly anger hurts other people in one way or another. The second thing it hurts is us. Some people don't really take that into account. They don't realize how badly our sinful anger hurts the people who have it. People become their own worst enemy, we might say. David Anderson put it this way, Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. <laughs> and the, the, the person who has the issue, what it is doing to them is also a very damaging thing, a very destructive thing. And so the Bible talks about this. It talks about the self-destructiveness of anger when our tempers explode. Proverbs 14, 17 says this, A quick-tempered man does foolish things, many foolish things. And when we lose our temper, we say things we regret. We do things that we know we're going to be sorry for. But we seem out of control, and then we feel this shame, and we feel this embarrassment later. We feel such a fool for having done what we did and said what we did, said. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. A person with a bad, explosive temper is a danger to himself. Chuck Swindoll told about a situation in which he lost his temper. And he says, I got so angry that I gave him a piece of my mind. And then it, I realized it was a piece I couldn't afford to lose. <laughs> I needed that mind, and I just lost it. Anger hurts other people, and it hurts ourselves. And this cycle of hurt just goes on and on and on, round and round. Celebrate recovery groups have a saying that makes a lot of sense to me. They said this, Hurt people hurt people. You ever heard that? Hurt people hurt people. If you've been on the receiving end of this, you tend to give it out to other people. And so this cycle continues. Now, there's another powerful hurt we need to talk about, and that's our relationship with God. Anger hurts our relationship with God. When we carry around this rage and bitterness and malice, there's just no room for God left in our hearts. We can have no peace with God while we are foolishly holding on to our hateful feelings toward another person. You remember even what Jesus said after he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. He'd included in his model prayer these words, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then at the end of the prayer, after he had said, this is the prayer, this is how you should pray, he added these chilling words from Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
Do we really want to be in a position where we lose God's forgiveness? I mean, we, we are so grateful for the grace he's given us. We're so grateful that he has saved us and forgiven us of our sins. But Jesus said, if you start harboring resentment and malice and anger towards other people, if you have an, a spirit of unforgiveness, you will not be forgiven. Anger hurts. Anger hurts people that we care about. Anger hurts us. Anger hurts our relationship with God. Anger is a choice, so be careful how you express it. We already read our scripture for today in Ephesians 4, 26 through 32, but I want to go back and I want to focus on two little sections of that. First of all, let's focus on verses 26 and 27. He says there, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. So anger must be okay. Must be a time and a place for it. It's a God-given, appropriate emotion when bad things are happening. It is the proper response. Under the right circumstances, anger is appropriate. Like when injustice occurs. When things need to be made right. Or like when the weak and the vulnerable need to be defended. Or maybe when somebody needs to stand up for what is right and good and true. Righteous anger is justified when our anger is not about us personally, but about something bigger than us. Maybe about what God wants to see happen. Even in the Bible, it says that God gets angry. God gets angry at sin. God gets angry when innocent people are suffering at the hands of evil people. Perhaps you've heard of the wrath of God. God is not small or vindictive, so he gets angry. His wrath is totally justified. But thankfully, it is tempered by his grace. So God gets angry. Jesus got angry. We read often in the New Testament, several places, several occasions where Jesus got angry. But he did not get angry only because somebody had offended him. Or even when somebody had taken something from him. Or maybe somebody ridiculed or mocked him. He didn't even get angry when wicked people mocked and beat and crucified him. Do you remember Jesus getting angry in those final scenes of his life leading up to his death on the cross? I don't. But he got angry on other occasions. On that occasion, remember, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. for They don't know what they're doing. That was a different attitude than the attitude we have when people are hurting us. But Jesus did get angry. Jesus got angry because the money changers in the temple were taking advantage of people when they came to worship God. Jesus got angry when his disciples refused to let the children come to him. Jesus got angry when the Pharisees tried to justify their sins and say that they were only serving God after all. Jesus came out in angry, angriness when it was appropriate and in an appropriate way. In your anger, do not sin, Paul says. Anger must be a choice. It's not something that happens to us. It is something that we choose to do. We choose when to get angry, and we choose how we're going to express our anger. So first, let us ask God to show us where our anger is right and good and when it is wrong and must be avoided. 
when it is right and good, then we need to act appropriately. Act in a righteous way to express your anger. In your anger, do not sin. And then Paul gives us a couple other statements that just kind of help give additional guidelines on how we exercise our choice to be angry. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. Here we are told to deal with whatever has caused us anger as soon as we can. So it does not fester. So it does not cause us or anyone else more problems. You see, when you hold on to your anger, all kinds of other things start happening. Then you start, you know, just kind of fomenting it inside. It's just this building up and thing. And you start imagining other things. And, you know, when I've, I've made the mistake of letting some anger just boil inside me, it has changed attitudes. It's changed the way I can act towards somebody. It even changed what I do until that is finally resolved. So the Word of God says quickly, as soon as possible. Do not even let the sun go down. That means take care of it today if you can. Just, just don't even let another day pass. Get this out. Deal with it. But deal with it in a good and righteous way. When something upsets us, we need to resolve the matter quickly so the devil doesn't have anything to work with. <laughs> you know, he's got enough to work with. And uh, he is already trying to tempt us and to lead us astray. And when we give him a little foothold in our lives, you know, let it have that toe in the door then he finds a way to get the door the rest, rest of the way open. Holding on to our anger is never a good idea. Now, I heard about an, a man and his wife who had a big argument. They got so mad with each other that they, they started giving each other the silent treatment. You know what that is, the silent treatment? Silent treatment is when you get so mad, you don't talk anymore. You're just kind of looking at each other, making bad faces, you know, mean faces, but mostly avoiding each other. And, and for some people, this may go on for a long time. I know about the silent treatment because early on in my life, my parents' marriage, they did the silent treatment, and it was awful. It was awful for us kids because... We knew that somewhere they had this argument, somewhere they had this disagreement, and they weren't talking to each other, but they weren't telling us what it was about. They're still dealing with us like everything was normal, but definitely wasn't normal. And this might go on for two, three days, and then all of a sudden, everything would be fine. They're talking together. They're, they're dealing. We never knew what the issue was. We never knew how they resolved it, and so we were not learning what to do when there's a disagreement. We just saw the silent treatment in effect. And so this is what this couple is doing. They're mad and they're giving each other the silent treatment. And the, well, the wife was an early riser, it said. And that night the man realized that he was going to have to need her help to wake up at 5 a.m. because he had a flight to catch for a business trip. He had trouble getting up in the morning, so you know, normally she would take care of that. But he didn't want to say it. He didn't want to be the one to first break the silence. So he wrote her a note that said this, please wake me at 5 a.m. And placed it on her nightstand next to the bed. Well, the next morning, he wakes up to discover that it's 7.05. He has missed his time. He has missed his flight. And he's furious. So he jumps out of bed to see why his wife hadn't awakened him at the right time. And just as his feet hit the floor, he saw a note on his nightstand. And it said, it's 5 a.m. Time to get up. <laughs> Apparently, the silent treatment doesn't work too well. Neither does letting days go by without getting your anger resolved. All kinds of games we play, and none of them are good. Gary Collins, in his book, 
guide to Christian counseling describes three inappropriate ways that we might deal with anger. The first is just holding back. You do nothing, basically. Holding back means you keep your angry feelings to yourself. It may seem to be a healthy idea because you're not exploding on somebody. You're not venting. You're just maybe thinking, I'll just assess the situation, figure out what I'm going to do. But in the long run, this is the least effective way to deal with your anger. When you just ignore it, it begins to affect us in other ways. A second inappropriate way to deal with anger is to turn it inward. You know, just, okay, I'm going to swallow this. I'm going to turn it inside. I'm just going to keep dealing with it inside, but I don't want anything public to happen. I don't want anything outside to happen. And when anger is kept within and not expressed appropriately, we appear to be calm on the outside, but there's this boiling rage inside. Internal anger is a powerful force that can express itself in a lot of ways, even physical symptoms like headaches or chest pains or ulcers. It can also produce psychological problems if it goes long enough, like self-pity or thoughts of revenge or maybe Maybe even suicide. I mean, you just let these things build up and build up and build up, and eventually there has to be some way that it gets out, and it's ugly. The third inappropriate way to deal with anger is acting out. <laughs> just, I'm going to just vent it. Aggression, violence, slander, gossip, abusing alcohol or drugs, all of these are ways, inappropriate ways, to deal with anger and to act it out. So how does the word of God say that we're to deal with our anger? How can we keep it from getting the best of us? Well, first of all, we need to stop and look at the situation through God's eyes. We need to ask him for wisdom to know how to best express our anger, even if it is justified. Okay, I've, I've figured out this is okay. I need to be angry about this situation. I need to be angry about this circumstance. But God, how can I see it your way? And how can I choose a way to express anger? Remember that anger is a choice. We choose when to get angry and we choose how we're going to express our anger. Well, I told you I wanted to look at two parts of this scripture in Ephesians 4. Let's go on to the second one, starting at verse 29 and going through 32. Do not let in unwholesome talk uh, come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Listen to this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I don't know what kind of issues you have. I don't know whether this anger thing is something that, that plagues you every day or every once in a while. Uh, maybe on occasion once a year, you just kind of things build up and then eventually you explode or eventually you get sick or eventually you, you have this, this binge of some kind because you just don't know how else to handle it but just to you know, numb yourself. I don't know how it's expressed in your life. But all of these are bad and, and, and inappropriate ways to deal with our anger. And I want you to know that our anger issues can be overcome through Christ. Not on your own, not through some pill, not through, you know, some self-help book, not through uh, an awful lot of therapy that's not Christ-centered, you know, just find a human way, a humanistic way of dealing with this. And through Christ, we can learn to discern the difference between righteous anger 
and vindictive anger. We can learn self-control by submitting to the Spirit of God in all things. Isn't that an odd thing that you learn self-control by yielding control to the Holy Spirit? Our anger issues can be overcome when we yield to the Holy Spirit's control. Like all of the seven deadly sins, we need to allow Jesus to overcome them and their negative effects. We need to be led by the Spirit so we can break free from the sinful habits that have enslaved us for so long. Now, we may want to excuse our anger. We might want to say there was nothing else we could do. We might say, I just can't control my temper. It just gets away from me just the way I am. Or maybe, hey, I'm Italian. We're supposed to be angry. <laughs> you know, but it, it's just, just a choice that we make. And it's a battle that we need to fight with the Lord's help. Isn't it funny that we can control our tempers when we have to. You know, you know the scene. Here you are at home, or maybe you're in the office with your coworkers, or you know, wherever you are, and there's this big argument going on. You're just so angry and so so you know, full of, of yourself, and, and there's there's this explosive exchange going on, and the phone rings. And you know you gotta answer it. So it's the same person who was just venting on somebody else, picks up the phone and says, Hello. You know, what is that? That tells you right there that anger is a choice. You could have used that same tone of voice with the other people that you had the argument with, but you chose to suddenly just pull back, change the way you're doing your life, and answer in the sweetest voice possible. Anger is a choice. So don't think that you can never change, that you always have anger issues. By God's grace, you can overcome any problem that you've had in the past. Sinful anger must be brought under control by surrendering to the Spirit of God. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve by holding on to our past, by refusing to let Him do His work in our hearts. You grieve the Holy Spirit because His whole purpose of being there is to make us like Christ. So that we could act like Christ, so we could live like Christ, so we could think like Christ. We can control our tempers with the Spirit's help. The Bible teaches that when we allow the Holy Spirit to control our life, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. And if you often lose your temper or hold resentment and bitterness in your heart, then ask God to help you change. Our God can change your heart and then your behavior. I want you to look at, list, at the list again in verse 31 of the damages caused by sin in our lives. There's bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. We could add to that another one, unforgiveness, because in verse 32, it talks about forgiving each other. Are any of these destructive things, actions in your life? Are you bitter? You know, you carrying around this weight of bitterness and resentment, you know, and, and uh, you know, just just kind of takes over that this thing has happened. This person has offended you or hurt you and you will never get over it, you think. Are you filled with rage sometimes and you don't even know where it comes from? You're just going along and all of a sudden certain things tip it off, certain triggers happen and suddenly you're out there and you're just 
blasting somebody. Is that true of your life sometimes? Have you ever even resorted to physical violence to show how angry you are? You know, I'm going to ramp this up. I'm going to do something physical so there will be no doubt that I'm angry here and it will catch their attention. That's what that's all about. Do you slander the people who have hurt you? Do you find a way to undercut them, to gossip about them, to, to make them look bad because you feel bad about yourself? Do you have malice in your heart toward anyone, even your worst enemy? Is there malice in there? Are you carrying it around and saying, I'm going to get them someday? If that is true, then the only choice is to repent of all of that, to repent of any of that. Ask God to help you deal with the hurts, the slights, and the anger, and the unforgiveness that is holding you captive, that is weighing you down. Don't, don't try to fix things on your own. Ask God for the wisdom to see why you get angry in the first place and then why you should just let it go. It, it's not worth it. It's not what he wants to see happen. And even if it is justifiable anger, then how am I supposed to express it? Paul says at the end of this, he says, we need to be kind and compassionate and to forgive each other, even as God in Christ forgave us. So instead of being filled with anger in our hearts, God says, be filled with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit alone can replace your anger and hurt with kindness and compassion and a forgiving heart. But you need to yield to his control, to his wisdom. It helps me to just to remember that Christ has forgiven me. Doesn't that help you? Doesn't it just help you to realize that of all the things I've ever done, of all the sins I've ever committed, of all the times that I've rebelled against God, that in Christ, God has forgiven me. God has said, I'm not holding that against you anymore. I love you. You're my son. I will be here for you forever. And that same forgiveness is what we need to offer to others. On February 9th, 1960, Adolf Coors III, millionaire head of the Coors Company, was kidnapped and held for ransom. Seven months later, his body was found on a remote hillside. He had been shot to death. And his son, Adolf Coors IV, was then 15 years old. He lost not only his father, but also his best friend. And for years, he hated Joseph Corbett, the man who was convicted of his father's murder. In 1975, almost 15 years later, Adolf Kors IV became a Christian. And yet his hatred for Corbett, the murder of his dad, still consumed him. After time, he knew that he needed somehow to forgive Corbett as Jesus Christ had forgiven him. And so he made a choice, a choice to let the Holy Spirit help him do the right thing. So he called the penitentiary, this maximum security unit called Colorado's Cannon City Penitentiary, and he asked to have a visit with Joseph Corbett, the man who had murdered his father. Corbett refused to see him. So instead, he went to the penitentiary with a Bible in hand in which he had written the following inscription. I was here to see you today, and I'm sorry that we could not meet. 
as a Christian, I am summoned by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive. And I do forgive you. And I ask you to forgive me for the hatred I've held in my heart against you. Later, Kurz confessed, I have a love for that man that only Jesus Christ could have put in my heart. His anger had been replaced by kindness and compassion and forgiveness. He had learned to see Joseph Corbett, the murder of his father, through God's eyes. And he really forgave him. I want you to know today that God can help you overcome through Christ. If anger is a major problem for you, it's something you're dealing with, God can do the same through your heart and mind if you allow him to. He can bring kindness and compassion and forgiveness into a heart that is just filled and boiling with anger today if you allow God to work. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are with us, uh, that your word has promised us so many amazing things, that even in um, the troubles that we've faced, even in the things that we've held on to for a long time, your grace can infiltrate. Your grace can break through. Your grace can change our hardened heart and soften us so that instead of being filled with anger and vindictiveness and bitterness and rage, we can learn to be filled with kindness, and compassion, and forgiveness. Lord, I pray for anyone that is here within the sound of my voice today that may be carrying around a burden, whether it's short or long, you know, whether it's been just a day or two or it's been months and years, that you would release them today as they yield to you, as they surrender to you, as they open their heart and ask for a new spirit, um, by your spirit to infiltrate their hearts, to create something new and wonderful inside them. Lord, I pray for the uh, forgiveness of others who have offended us, who have hurt us, who have said nasty things to us, those who have gone out of their way to make our lives miserable. Lord, fill us with forgiveness for them because you forgave us first. You showed us what that looks like. And you continually forgive us. Help us, Lord, not to put ourselves in the position of God and the one who condemns them, the one who seeks revenge, the one who wants them to be punished for justice to be served. But rather, Lord, that we would just be filled with compassion for them. And Lord, when it is time and it is the right place for us to be angry, help us to do it in a way that honors you, that teaches other people your ways. And lifts up what is good and true and right and protects those that are vulnerable and weak and rises to the occasions when you tell us to do that, Lord, but in the way you tell us to do it. Lord, we know that our church even has a position in this community, position of service and love, but also as a beacon of truth in a world where much of that has gone. And, and there are going to be times when we're going to have to take a stand and we're going to have to say, no, this is what God's word declares. This is what God wants. And take it or leave it, whatever consequences may come, this is what is right. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in that, that grace that you have first given to us. In all, in all things, even when we're in confrontation, even when 
someone is, is maybe uh, criticizing us or coming after us because we are a Christian, may we just be filled with your love for them. And may you reign supreme in our lives. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.